I have to go pick up a fire ring tomorrow. Don't let me forget about that, honey. Um, and if you are participating, be here by 5 on Friday. And somebody pointed out that it says supper will be provided. And so I think there's going to be soups. And sandwiches and stuff before. Yeah. And if you're working and you can't get there right at 5 or before 5, that's fine. Don't yeah. stop you from coming. Okay. Anyway, so now I have mentioned that. Um, and we've never done this before. And I heard that we've had some Debbie Downers saying, oh, this is not going to work and nobody's going to come. And Guess what? It's our first time. We don't expect a thousand people to come through, but we want to do it. Um, and so this is something that I suppose will probably become, I don't know if I want to say every year, but we'll probably do this for a couple years and see how it goes. Um, it's a way to be seen in the community, let people know what, who we are, what we stand for, uh, the Lord that we serve. And um, so anyway, I'm looking forward to it. Um, do be making your final arrangements for that. Um, also, Christmas cards in the mailboxes. If you are a church member, you have a mailbox. It's right behind this wall right here. Well, behind the baptistry. Um, huh? And some people that are not church members even have them, evidently. Um, there was one other thing I was going to mention. Oh, we do, one of the things that we do is Southern Baptist, and I would do this if, I did, if the church didn't do this when I came here. Um, I shouldn't say I would do this. I would encourage our church to do this. We, we take up a Lottie Moon offering. And one thing um, that is good about being in collaboration with other churches, as we are in the Southern Baptist Convention, is that we have a magnifying power when it comes to supporting missionaries. And uh, I'll look up the numbers at some point. But Southern Baptist churches, you know, an individual little country church like ours may not take up what seems like a whole lot of money. But when this little country church does it, and thousands of others do, it amounts to a great deal of money, and we're able to send missionaries all over the world. I'm saying all over the world. Is the Lottie Moon the foreign? Yes, because she was a missionary in China. The Easter offering, Annie Armstrong, is for domestic missions. I get those mixed up, and I have to go through that. Um, so anyway, if you want to participate, or if you want to give to that, um, the Lottie Moon offering will be collected up until our Christmas service, which will be December 24th. Um, I think that's all the announcements. Any other announcements? Uh, Karen, do you want to add anything about the uh, nativity? Uh, you got a list. Now, wait a minute. We've got to have church here. <laughs> Hi, everybody. So, we need cookies, and we didn't really have a lot of people sign up. But if, if everybody could bring two or three dozen, we'd have it. we're going to give cookies out Friday and Saturday night. Um, we're also, for anybody that's helping... We're going to have dinner at 5, we're going to have soup, salad, and um, Allison's going to make sandwiches, and we'll have some stuff for the kids. Um, we have several people bringing crock pots of soup both nights, and if anybody wants to bring a salad to throw out there, that'd be great. And then about the fire ring. I'll go get it tomorrow. I, I called the guy, he told me to come get it. He said that the tractor was parked next to it, so it sounds heavy. Um, I might need help unloading it, but I'll get it here. Okay. And then we have wood coming, right? Uh, yeah, somebody's bringing wood. Okay. Billy, is it Billy? Okay. And then Charlie donated the stuff. Did you hear about that, Jeannie? Yeah, we're still working on that. Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work out. He said the fuses were blown or something. Well, we'll get that sorted. Don't and then we're going to take the cross from over there and put out there. Yes. For Friday night. Uh, and then you're working on the speakers, and we have what we're going to put over the speakers. The only other thing I don't know about was um, the luminaries. We haven't done anything about that yet. That's just buying white bags and tea candles, right? Okay. And then... And what? Uh, sand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to have the sand or you have a fire. Traffic, dust, uh, and cones. Yeah. You got a few cones? I forgot all about the cones. You think you need um, vests so people can see in the dark? Yeah. Write that down, honey, and remind me. Of. Okay. Okay. That's all I had. Yep. And pray. Yes. Yeah. Um. Does anybody plan on being here that hasn't volunteered to? 
to work in it that, that would, wouldn't mind doing, helping people park. Because the way it's going to work, people are going to come in, come around the seminary, seminary, the cemetery, uh, <laughs> and our stable's right over here. And I'm almost done with seminary. <laughs> I'm getting real close. Uh, the stable's right over here, and then they can come over here and park. And so we'll need a few men to, to direct. Does anybody, anybody here want to volunteer for that? Friday and Saturday, 6 to 8, one of the days? All right. Yeah, we'll we'll bug some people about it then. Um, it'll be fun. Um, all right, let's look at some prayer requests. Well, any other announcements? All right. Um, Betty Sue mentioned Keith. Keith's having some respiratory issues. Uh, keep him in your prayers. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Adam just told me Madeline's sick. Uh, she's she's not contagious, but she's been sick. Has a sinus. Uh, infection. Uh, in fact, there is, there's been tons of that going around. I think everybody knows that most people have probably been sick or had somebody in their family been sick. If you haven't, it's coming for you too. Get ready. It's, it, it's that time of year and it really does seem like it. We all did it. Didn't we do a little stair step thing? Um, so anyway, um, it feels like once you've been sick though, you almost, I'm not saying you won't get sick again, but it almost feels like you're done with it for the season. Uh, in fact, Josh told me, Josh Lyles, uh, his family's been dealing with it as well. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, I want to say praise the Lord for answered prayers. Libby seems to be doing well. Uh, I want to ask that you continue to remember uh, Thomas Grossman and Shirley Shea. And um, remember Ronnie Lucas. Uh, I, I don't know what the Lord has in store for Ronnie, but he's been, how long ago has that been? Two years, three Anyway, Mitchell mentioned that he is that he had some signs that he might not be paralyzed for life early on, and now all this time later he's starting to get some feeling back, and uh, that's a tough situation because he's either uh, hoping against hope or, or this is a really good sign, and so you want to be optimistic. But anyway, just pray for that situation. Um, Jill asked that we pray for her healthcare staff. Uh, same kind of thing that. Uh, she, pray, she asked that we would pray that they would get healthy and stay healthy so that they can take care of other people. Um, remember uh, Warren Thompson, Richard Hall, um, and of course the list of bereaved families in the third section there. And uh, what else? What, what else would you guys like to mention? My brother, What's his name? Roger Hannon. Hannon? Allen. Allen. Yeah, that's a... Two? Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, Brad, he's something. Let me write that down. Okay. Allison? What, what are they called? Let's just name them. S-I-M. So, my brother-in-law, Daniel Nolker, he, he works for a evangelical missionary organization, and they're slipping. They're going the wrong way. Um, as many evangelical denominations have, they're siding with wokeness, new age stuff, and uh, obviously, this is his employer. This is what he has for a job. And he's actually confronted him about some of these issues, and it doesn't look like... Can you imagine having to do that? Go to your... Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I already know what's going to happen. Either they'll hear him or he'll go, uh, whether he goes fast or slow. But anyway, obviously the, the best thing would be for them to honor Scripture as authoritative and do what God's Word says. But yeah, do pray for that situation. Uh, what else?
that's Shirley Shea. And uh, sorry. Mitchell, and he's done Did they already tell him they got it all, or did they know yet? Yeah, what they do is they take some and they test it, and then if they have to, they go back in. And, so they're they testing it now? Yeah. Okay. Okay. As far as they know, they got it all. Okay. do that. Hope she finds her, I start to say forever home, but I think people use that phrase for something else. But we hope that she stays with you guys. Who, who is this? Oh. Oh. You think the mom might actually take your side? Well, we want Kaylee to be where God wants her to be, where she'll have the best raising. We hope that's also where she's happiest, but <laughs> the, the former before the latter. Um, did I see another hand over here? But she's in a nursing home, right? She's in a nursing home. Okay. We, got to go, we have to go every day and socialize. Okay. I understand. And that's, that's good for her. That's good that y'all can do that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Yeah, he's doing a lot of traveling. else? All right, well, let's go to the Lord in, in a word of prayer. Uh, Lord God, we come to you giving you thanks for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And uh, Lord, we want to thank you above all for Christ Jesus and for the sacrifice that he made. We pray, Lord, that it would remain central in our ministry here, that it would remain central in each of our individual lives. And uh, Lord, that we would remember that we have been bought with a high price. We do come to you, Lord, with our many needs, obeying what you say, that we can cast our cares on you. And, uh, Lord, we've named many of our, our friends and our family members here uh, that are sick, that are going through things, um, some that have lost loved ones, uh, some that have had procedures, and some that have procedures ahead of them. And, uh, God, we just pray that you would have your hand upon each of these situations. You know what each needs. And, uh, God, we just pray for your mercy and your grace, for your presence to be felt, for your comforts to be known. And uh, Lord, that in all these things, that each individual, all of us, Lord, would be drawn closer to you. We uh, want to give you thanks for our church and uh, for the people of this church, Lord. We ask that you would uh, keep your watch care over us, keep your hand upon us, uh, keep us safe, Lord, as we go throughout our week, and help us to walk in your ways that we might honor and glorify Christ Jesus, our Savior, who died and rose for us. We ask this in his name. Amen. All right, y'all ready to jump back into Jude? Um, <clears throat> I've about half regretted doing Jude um, as we've gone through some of this. And uh, today we are going to finish the sermon that was supposed to be one sermon. In fact, the whole thing was supposed to be one sermon. And uh, what is this, our fifth? Is it fourth? Fifth session? And... We have spent our last three, well, including today, on verses 5 through 7. And there are three Old Testament examples here, just as a way of reminder. 
And I believe that all of these, that the example is that they are against their nature. And Jude is still calling the Christian church. Remember what he said. He said, I wanted to write to you about the faith. But it was needful that I write to you about these things that you would contend for the faith. And so we talked about two weeks ago about uh, what it says in verse 5. In fact, let me read verses 5, 6, and 7. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left the proper dwelling, excuse me, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So, pretty dark stuff, pretty deep stuff. Um, I have to make a note here. I just saw something. Um, I don't know how that can happen. <laughs> I promise you guys I've studied for this, but uh, let, let, me, let me just jump right into this. We talked about uh, Israel being delivered out of Egypt and how there were grumblers and murmurers and those that did not trust God. And can we all admit that sometimes that's us? Sometimes that we're just like them. But for those that would not obey Him after they had seen the power of His hand, they did not get to enter into the promised land. For some that complained against God, um, they suffered immediate death. Uh, but nevertheless, it was the generation that they used as an excuse that, was, that were allowed to inherit the promised land. And then last week, we talked in detail about this verse that we see, verse 6, and the angels who didn't stay within their uh, own position. I think the King James says they kept not their own estate. And, and so we looked at the Old Testament's uh, mentionings of this and what this refers to. Um, we looked at the alternative views of it. We got in the weeds with it. Um, and I hope that you have a good understanding of that. And so today we're going to look at the part that says, just as, which by the way, just as is linking Sodom and Gomorrah to what the angels did. I hope you realize that. It says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Again, this is against their own nature. It says that they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of interesting eternal fire. Now what God did there was not eternal, but evidently Jude is making the case that those of that place are now in a place of eternal fire. And so uh, we're going to talk about, by the way, I have absolutely no doubt that Jude, I mean, he literally is just referencing the story. So you know what he expects you to do? Go study the story. Know the story. And, uh, you know, he says that uh, they serve as an example. Paul says in the New Testament that these things happened, uh, that they might be examples to us. We're supposed to learn from the Old Testament. And so I'm going to go back. We're going to study this story. And believe it or not, we can't study all of it in 30 minutes. We can't. There's too much to talk about because we see him mentioning the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But this includes certain characters, namely Lot. And so we need to discuss Lot. I believe that Lot is part of what Jude wants us to learn from. Not just Lot, but Lot and his family. And uh, when we consider Sodom and Gomorrah, we should also look at what the rest of the Bible has to say about it. And so there's lots, lots to cover here. Um, we're going to talk about uh, what Jesus had to say about this account, what Jesus himself said. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what the sin of Sodom uh, was. And we're going to talk about, um, well, Lot and Lot's family. We're going to spend, in fact, more time on that uh, than probably the rest. Um, but again, the, the first point being that Sodom was judged for sin and serves as an example to us. And so I want to go back to Genesis and I want to, I'm going to read some of this. Some of it I'm going to just remind you. I think most people that are sitting in here know the story, um, but I want to, I want to recount a few parts of it that I think are, are interesting anyway. And so first we see that the stage is set in Genesis chapter 18. You turn there if you want to. Isn't it interesting 
we, we keep doing this Genesis and then Jude. It's like the front of the Bible and the back of the Bible. And we're going to span some stuff in between here as well. But I want to, <clears throat> this sets up, by the way, make no mistake about it, this is history. Um, this is something that actually happened. It is described as it happened. But nevertheless, I'm going to describe this as setting the stage and introducing the characters. Um, and in, in Genesis 18, I'll read the first few verses that do that. It says, And the Lord appeared to him, that is to Abram, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat in the door of his tent in the heat of the day. By the way, one thing that came in my mind is if when it's real hot, it's okay for you to rest and sit in the shade. That's what I got out of that. Uh, but nevertheless, it says the Lord appeared to him. And it says he, that is Abram, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. Um, this is where I'm going to pause. But the point is, Abram, and I don't know how he knew, but he saw, it says three men. And we're going to see that these men, they speak, they walk, they eat, they drink, that they are men. And yet one of these men is identified as the Lord. Um, Anybody that has any credibility, anybody that has an ounce of exegesis in their bones will tell you that this is God. It says the Lord. I think that if you take it a step further, you will see that this is, God is invisible, right? He is an invisible spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So this to me is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Not only is it a theophany, but it is a Christophany. And so here we have Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus Christ is the one identified as destroying the unbelievers that were delivered from Egypt. And I don't think we read that. Well, I know we don't read that in the story of the Exodus. But I think we can carry that down to this as well. And so we see here that the Lord comes. And by the way, in this episode, this is where he tells of the birth of Isaac. And he's about to leave. And if you look in uh, verse 17, it says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. Interesting there. By the way, you, you kind of get the flavor that the closer that you are to the Lord, the more that you know about the Lord's plans. That's still true today. Do you know how you primarily know more about the Lord's plans? That's right. Um, and so here we see, I'm also going to suggest to you that the Lord is showing Abraham that he has something himself to learn from this episode. And so, uh, by the way, in what transpires after this, Abraham bandies with God. This is strange. I'm not going to go through it. But do you remember, uh, he tells him, he says, the sin of Sodom is great. And he said, I've heard the, the, the cries of the sin of Sodom, and I go down to see if these things are so. Um, and Abraham asks him, he says, well, what if there's 50 righteous people there? Does he start with 50? I'm not going to go through them. I think he starts with 50. And he says, if there's 50 righteous there, I will not destroy it. He says, well, what if I'm wrong about that? He said, Lord, I've... Already said this once, what if there's 45? I won't destroy it. And Abraham works him on down. I think he gets him down to 10. He says, if there are 10 righteous there, I will not destroy the place. And so uh, I wonder what Abraham was thinking. Because Abraham knows that Lot's there. This is his nephew. And so he knows that he's there, clearly loves him, clearly has Lot um, on his heart while he's asking but it says, And the Lord went his way when he finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. I wonder if Abraham went back, sat down in the tent in the shade, and said, Good gracious, I hope that there are ten righteous there. He had to be, he had to be fearful about it. He had to be wondering. And so we see the stage set. We see the Lord's intent that he is there to judge sin. We see Abraham interceding uh, on behalf of Lot. And now we're going to look at the story of Lot himself. And I'm going to tell you, 
I don't have anything good to say about Lot. Well, I have one good thing to say about him. You ready? He was a believer. But that's it. That's the only good thing I have to say. And the fact that he's a believer, I wouldn't be able to give you that except that in the New Testament he is described as just. And for the Christian, those that are just or righteous, as it says in the ESV, those are they that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he had believed in the Messianic promises. They were saved in the Old Testament the same way we're saved in the New. They were just looking forward, whereas we're looking back. Same thing. And so <clears throat> beyond that, Lot is foolish. He is worldly. He is unwise. And uh, we're going to look at this story, and you're going to see some of these things come to the surface. In fact, before I even tell you the story of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, can I remind you that he has already been delivered from this mess once? If you remember, I think it's back in Genesis chapter 12, we have the story of the first war. It might be Genesis, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter, I'm not going to cover that. But it's the Battle of the Nine Kings, that's what I call it. Um, it's, in, well, you, we, it's in 13 and 14, so right here it is. And so um, the point is that there are five kings versus four kings, each one making a compact. There's one leader over all of them. Um, I think four of them rebel and make war against the five. I could have that backwards. And Sodom and Gomorrah lose. And it's spoiled, and all the goods and food and people are taken away, including Lot and his goods, and I think the people of his house. And Abraham raises up an army, and he goes and he delivers uh, Lot. And in fact, if you remember, when Abraham wins a great victory, he's coming back, and the king of Sodom tries to give him gifts for what he's done. And Abraham says, I will not take... I'm remembering it somewhat in the King James. I will not take from thee a, a shoe latchet, lest thou say I have made Abraham rich. And uh, then Abraham goes on to pay tithes to Melchizedek, who is this odd little character that we read about in the book of Hebrews, and we see that Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And, of course, he is the prince of Salem. So he is a king and he is a priest. Um, and, this sets the, and we don't know his genealogy. Um, but nevertheless, so the point being that Lot has been caught up in just pure worldliness and filth. And it says um, when Lot chooses uh, Sodom, when he cast his eyes upon it, that the sin of that place was very great. That's the place he chose. And uh, so this is, this is a little glimpse at Lot. If we look in verse 19, and I'm, I'm going to speed us through this. But I want to remind you that when the angels come to Sodom and Gomorrah and they come to Lot, they're there to save him and his family, including his daughters and the ones that they're supposed to marry. And Lot doesn't get it. He does not understand how dire the situation is. Not only does, does Lot not get it, in fact, um, let me see if I put this passage down. <laughs> in fact, I made a note here. I heard a song the other day. This is not a Christian song. This is a secular song. But it reminded, I, when I was reading about Lot, I thought of this. It said, you know, the truth can be a weapon to fight this world of ill intentions. A new answer to the same question. How many times will you learn the same lesson? Lot didn't learn the same. He, he was learning the same lessons over and over and not learning. He was experiencing the same things because that's what a fool is. In fact, I remember, and you've all heard this quote probably. My papa told me this when I was real little. He said, a fool learns from his mistakes. Y'all know the next part? A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Now look, none of us are so wise that we don't make mistakes. But at least learn from them if you make them. Do learn from the mistakes of other people. But if you make the mistakes, and sometimes we have to, learn from them. Some people never learn. And Lot seems to be one of those. Now I want to, uh, before I disparage Lot, um, which I'm going to do, I want to remind you uh, that there is a predictable pattern that we see with Lot. Let me see if I put the scripture address in here. Um, I didn't, but I highlighted it. It's in Genesis 13. In verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes. And so the first thing is that Lot looked. 
Now, by the way, this is a pattern of what can happen and how sin can take a hold of somebody's life. It starts with something as simple as looking. If you look down in verse 11, it says that Lot journeyed east. In other words, he started leaning into this sort of thing. Now, look, some people will do this. Teenagers, young people listen. Teenagers will think, well, oh, my friends are sinning. I can hang out with them and not be involved in it. Be really careful about that. Very unwise. In fact, if you're in a place like Sodom and Gomorrah and the wickedness of that place is very great, leave. The Bible's clear that there are some things that are so dangerous that we should flee from them. Uh, another one of my papa's sayings, and I, I'm sure this is not original to him, but he said, nothing good ever happens past midnight. And that was his way of saying, you don't need to be out then. I can remember being a young person and thinking, well, yeah, there's something to that, but don't get carried away. But the older I've got, the more I realize he knew what he was talking about. The people that got in the most trouble that I grew up with, they're the ones that stayed out all night riding around, doing things they weren't supposed to be doing, doing things in the dark that nobody knew about. Something to it. Um, all right, I'm meddling and not preaching. Um, all right, so he, he lifted up his eyes, and then he started leaning into it, and then in verse 12 it says that he settled. So he left, and he lived there. He settled among the cities of the valley, and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now remember, he'd been saved from this mess one time, getting caught up in the drama of this type of living, and guess what? He's right back there when we deal with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not only is he back there, but he's serving as a city councilman. It says that he sat in the gate. Now look, undoubtedly he was very rich and he made much uh, profit from his position there. Uh, but nevertheless, the angels come to town and the people, the men of that city see the angels and they want to have them. You can go read this story yourself. I'm not going to recapitulate all of it, all right? We got some young people in here, young Gish. And Lot, because he had as the King James says, vexed his righteous spirit. In other words, he had corrupted his thinking by living among it. He offers his daughters to these people. But we're, we're to call him just. It's hard to do. But what you're supposed to think of is somebody that you know that's a Christian. Yeah, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they live like an idiot. And by the way, I'm going to tell you, I struggle with this. You know why I struggle with this? Because on the one hand, you have pastors like Adrian Rogers. Virtually every Southern Baptist knows who Adrian Rogers is, right? Show me a hand. All right, so Adrian Rogers teaches that there's three kinds of people, that there's lost people that don't know the Lord and that they're headed to a devil's hell. And that then there are Christians, and among Christians there are two types, that there is the saved Christian that is walking in victory, and then there's what he calls a carnal Christian. And that is somebody that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they are saved by that faith, and then they live like the devil. The problem with that is it's real hard to find those people in the Scriptures. The closest we get to it is this fellow right here, Lot. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to these things. If somebody says, yeah, I believe in the Lord Jesus, and they have no evidence of it in their lives, I'm terrified for people like that. If I live like that, I would be terrified for my own soul. But nevertheless, uh, we see Lot here, and I want to read to you what it says in 2 Peter um, this is 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. We read these because it mentions the angels, and so we covered this last week, but it also mentions Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. It says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, that is that Tartarus that we talked about, and He committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. By the way, you notice that Peter said the exact same thing that Jude, Jude said right there, making them an example of what is to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued, here's a righteous lot, and if he rescued righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual con conduct of the wicked. And then in parentheses, it says, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, 
He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and who despise authority. I like the way it says it in the King James. It says that he vexed his spirit. And so here are some ways that you see that his spirit was vexed or that he was tormented for what he was around. Um, he offered his daughters to the Sodomites, which, by the way, they didn't want them. And then it says that the sin of that place was great, and he stayed, and he lived there, and he made his living there, and he, he worked in the city gate. And then when he was being drugged out of the city by the angels, they literally told him to get unto the hills. Now, keep in mind, it's not just Sodom, the city of Sodom, and the city of Gomorrah, but it says and the cities in the plain round about them. And there are five of them. And it's Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma. Let's see if, uh, one of them is Lysha, which is Zoar. And he asks, here it is. Um, it's Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, and as far as Lysha. Now, Lysha goes by three names. Some places it's called Bela. Some places it's called Zoar. And you know what Lot says? Oh, let me go unto Zoar, for it is just a little one. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that this is a diatribe against sinful cities. Now, I said sinful cities just in case there's a righteous one out there somewhere. I don't know that there is. Now, it's easy for me to say that because I hate the city. I love the country. I'm a country preacher. But if I was preaching in uptown Charlotte, I would preach this the exact same way. It is, there's, there's, there's only one city in the whole Bible that I can find anything good written about, and it's called New Jerusalem, and it's not here yet. The cities of this world are corrupt, and they are sin centers. By the way, go look at a political map. That'll be a wake-up call. But nevertheless, we see that uh, he had vexed his thinking, his judgment clouded. Um, let me read this, Genesis 19, 19 through 22. He says, Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. This is Lot talking to the angels. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest a disaster overtake me and I die. I don't know exactly what all the angels said to them, but surely they told him, we know from the scriptures, that they were going to completely destroy that place. And he's saying, if I go up to the hills, what is he saying? I might get eaten by a bear or something. He still doesn't trust God, not completely. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. And it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he, that is the angel, said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Do you know what that tells me? In the original plan, he was supposed to overthrow that city. That was one of the five cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in the plain round about them. And this is what the angel says. Escape there quickly for I can do nothing. Let me say that a different way. As an angel of God, I'm not allowed to do anything until you are safe. I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar. So I believe this to be the moment of name change. Zoar literally means little one. And so he says, oh, it's a little one. It's just a small city. By the way, guess what? Lot doesn't stay there. Do you know why? Well, it doesn't say, but I suspect that he looked around Zoar and he saw the same stuff going on there that he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah. So you know what he does? He says he leaves, goes up to the hills, but he dwells in a cave with his daughters. Now, why is he with his daughters? Because his wife's not with him. That's another way that we see the failings of Lot is that his wife didn't come with him. Now, listen, I don't want to just completely beat up on Lot's wife, but I'm going to tell you something. If I came to my wife... And I said, the Lord God came to me. And by the way, we ain't Pentecostal, we're Southern Baptists. If I said, the Lord God came to me and he told me that he's going to destroy this place, we've got to go, she's coming. Are you coming? She's coming. She's not going to linger. She's not going to tarry. She's not going to stand there and look back when the directions say, don't look back. But Lot's wife didn't follow him. You know why? I don't think he was a very good leader. I blame him for it. And by the way, let me remind you what Jesus said. Because Jesus mentions her. Jesus makes a point of this in Luke chapter 17, 26 through 33. He says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. 
They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. I could preach on that right there. I'm not going to. I'm going to resist and I'm going to keep going. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? They had no idea that it was coming. This caught them by complete... They're doing all the normal stuff. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Read Revelation. It's exactly what happens. It's exactly what's going to happen in the day of the Lord. He says, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. And listen to what Jesus says. Remember Lot's wife. That is terrifying. You know what Jesus is saying? Don't be too attached to anything in this world. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. There was something that Lot's wife did not want to leave behind. And so she tarried and she looked back. And the Bible says that she was turned to a pillar of salt. So we see in Lot great failing. We see spiritual failing. And uh, he does escape to Zoar. And I'm not going to get into the whole story, but let me just say that his daughters are looking around and they say there's no people left for us to marry with. We will get our father drunk. And they, be, they produce the Moabites and the Ammonites. I don't know. You can go look it up. But these are two people groups that are an abomination before the Lord, so much so that he says, Let not the Moabite or the Ammonite enter into the congregation of Israel even unto the tenth generation. So he's righteous in the New Testament. That tells me he's a believer, but virtually everything else was wrong. He didn't live out a life of faith. So part of Jude's lesson is you can believe and be an absolute spiritual disaster. And he's saying, contend for the faith. Stick with the true teachings of the Scriptures. Do not be led astray. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. Don't intermingle with people you shouldn't be intermingling with. Or it says in the New Testament, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Um, all right, let me move to my other points here because I'm out of time. This point is pretty simple, and it is that they never saw it coming, and the judgment was complete. And I'm going to read you verses. Uh, this is from Genesis 19, uh, 23 through 25. It says, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. There's no doubt about where this judgment comes from. We live in a day and age where people want to make Jesus into this sissy that does not judge sin. You cannot find that sissy Jesus in the scriptures. He is holy and pure and righteous and perfect. And it says that he judged, and in verse 25 it says, and he overthrew those cities. It says that he, and all of the valley, and all of the inhabitants. It doesn't say most of them. It says all of the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. And then that's where we, the next verse, but Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Tragic story. But the point is, and it's the same point that Jesus made when Jesus preached on it. He says, as it was in the days of Noah... I would say something like 7 out of 10 preachers miss the point when they preach on the days of Noah. They say, as it was in the days of Noah, and they go on to talk about how sinful the world was. It was sinful, but today it's sinful. The point is not that it was sinful. The point is that nobody saw it coming. When judgment falls, you're not looking for it. In this passage where it says the sun's rising, this is that after midnight crowd that we're talking about. They were all laying in bed, sleeping it off, and it began to rain Hailstones as big as houses probably. Sulfur and fire. And so this judgment was immediate when it came and it was complete. But it was not beyond what it was supposed to be. So much so that God saved Lot out of it. But these serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So what Jude's saying? Contend for the faith. Don't be deceived. Demand good doctrine. And the way that I put this... Because I remember when I came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and I remember how much certain parts of the Bible cramped my style, hurt my feelings, or 
I'll just be honest with you, parts of the Bible I didn't like. You know what God said about the parts of the Bible I didn't like? Nothing. <laughs> I don't have to like them. I have to believe them and agree with them. Um, so let's do that. And uh, I want to read to you, lastly, another passage out of the Old Testament that speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'm going to read this the way that it's written, and I want to be clear, I'm not backing off of the sin that is laid out in Sodom. In fact, we call that sin sodomy or homosexuality. I'm not backing off of that, but let me be clear because I believe that there's two great mistakes that we can make when we study the Bible in situations like this. Number one, we can isolate this sin as being a special bad sin. It's not good. It says that it's an abomination before the Lord. That is true. But this is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning in verse 44. He says, Behold, everyone who uses Proverbs will use this proverb about you, like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and her children. So we see hatred here. That's what loathing is. And you are the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and their children. Can I say that with this loathing, if you loathe your family, you are a discontent and bitter and wretched person. We see loathing. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite, and your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with the daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. And so he's painting a picture here. I hope you get this. He says, Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. In other words, what he's saying is you're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. And now listen to what he says. He says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. So not you, but of Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Isn't that interesting? You see the abomination, which I believe talks about the perversion of that place. But before thus saith the Lord, this is God speaking through the prophet, mentions that. He says, pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. You know what that means? They were rich. They had everything that they could want. They had lack of nothing, and they cared about no one. They were greedy and selfish and unthankful. In fact, it says virtually the same thing in Romans chapter 1, and it speaks of the same thing that can happen, that happened in that society and that can happen in ours today. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And I believe this means that they refuse to believe the gospel. The truth about God is revealed. It says, For <clears throat> what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in these things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God... Let me say that another way, just to put it in context. For although Sodom and Gomorrah knew God, or for although America knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now here's what happens. Because what God is saying here to the Apostle Paul is they gave up God. We don't want God. And so they gave up God. And so in verse 24 it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason... Because God gave them up. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women 
and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for, let me be clear about this, their error. In other words, it's a sin that people commit and people are responsible for. But it is also a form of judgment that comes from dishonoring God, from disliking God, from being unthankful towards God, and from knowing God and rejecting God. Can I say it this way? It is a type of insanity. It is a brokenness of mind. In fact, it's described as a reprobate mind. And so God gave them up, and their minds literally broke. And I believe that many times when we look at the world around us today, not just America, but I'm going to pick on America because I'm an American, what we see are warped minds in men and women. And not just in this way only, but it starts with having more than you need and still being selfish and greedy and gluttonous and desirous for more for me and not caring about other people. You know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all that you are, every ounce of your being, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the opposite of what these people do. They love themselves completely and totally and completely consider others out of hand. So the warped imaginations are a product of sin, they're a result of sin, and they produce more sin, and they heap upon themselves Judgment upon judgment. And you know what Jude's saying? Let them be an example for us. Lord God, we thank you that as Christians there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Even still, Lord, uh, we pray that none of us would be like Lot. And uh, Lord, let us not be arrogant to think that we have some righteousness of ourselves that is born of us that we would ever trust in it. Help us, Lord, to... Realize that every good thing comes from you. And uh, help us, Lord, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. Help us to serve Christ more every day. And, Lord, we do not hate those around us in our society whose minds are warped. And, uh, Lord, we pray for repentance and revival in this country. And we ask, God, that you would help us to be a church of grace, but one that preaches the truth. Lord, one that stands in the truth and that contends for the faith, not backing down, no matter what others might say about us. And we pray that because we stand in the truth, we would love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And that as we live our daily lives, we might be those that honor God with all that we are. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.